The Venture X card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio. You're listening to The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Chapter 15. Deeper Magic from Before the Dawn of Time. While the two girls still crouched in the bushes with their hands over their faces, they heard the voice of the witch calling out, Now, follow me and we will set about all that remains of this war. It will not take us long to crush the human vermin and the traitors now that the great fool, the great cat, lies here dead. At this moment... The children were, for a few seconds, in very great danger. For with wild cries and a noise of skirling pipes and shrill horns blowing, the whole of that vile rabble came sweeping off the hilltop and down the slope, right past their hiding place. They felt the spectres go by them like cold wind and they felt the ground shake beneath them under the galloping feet of the minotaurs, and overhead there was a flurry of foul wings and the blackness of vultures and giant bats. At any other time they would have trembled with fear, but now the sadness and shame and horror of Aslan's death so filled their minds that they hardly thought of it. As soon as the wood was silent again, Susan and Lucy crept out, onto the open hilltop. The moon was getting low and the thin clouds were passing across her. But still they could see the shape of the lion lying dead in his bonds. And down they both knelt on the wet grass and kissed his cold face and stroked his beautiful fur, well, what was left of it, and cried until they could cry no more And then they looked at each other and held one another's hands for mere loneliness and cried again. And then they were silent. And at last, Lucy said, I I can't bear to look at that horrible muscle. I wonder if we could take it off. So they tried, and after a lot of working at it, for their fingers were cold, and for now it was the darkest part of night, they succeeded And when they saw his face without it, they burst out crying again and kissed it and fondled it and wiped away the blood and the foam as best they could. And it was all more lonely and hopeless and horrid than I know how to describe. I wonder, could we untie him as well, said Susan presently. But the enemies, out of pure spitefulness, had drawn the cords so tight that the girls could make nothing of the knots. I hope no one who reads this book has ever been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, 
If you've been up all night and cried till you have no more tears left, you will know that there comes, in the end, a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. At any rate, that was how it felt in those two. Hours and hours seemed to go by in this dead calm, and they hardly noticed that they were getting colder and colder. But at last Lucy noticed two other things. One was that the sky on the east side of the hill was a little less dark than it had been an hour ago. And the other was that there was a tiny movement going on at the grass at her feet. At first she took no interest in this. What did it matter? Nothing mattered now. But at last she saw whatever it was and it began to move up the upright stones of the stone table. And now, whatever they were, they were moving about on Aslan's body. She peered closer. They were little grey things. Ugh! said Susan from the other side of the table. How beastly! These are horrid little mice crawling all over him. Go away! Go away, you beasts! And she raised her hand as if to try and frighten them away. Wait, said Lucy, who'd been looking at them more closely still. Can't you see what they're doing? Both girls bent down and stared. I do believe, said Susan. But how queer. They're nibbling away at the cords. Well, that's what I thought too, said Lucy. I think they're friendly mice. Poor little things. They don't realise that he's dead. They think that it'll do some good untying him. But it was definitely lighter now, and each of the girls noticed for the first time the white face of the other, and they could see the mice nibbling away, dozens and dozens, even hundreds of little field mice. And at that, the last one, the ropes were all gnawed through. The sky in the east was whitish by now, and the stars were getting fainter, all except one very big one, low down on the eastern horizon. They felt colder than they had been all night. The mice crept away again. The girls cleared away the remains of the gnawed ropes, and Aslan looked a little more like himself without them. Every moment from his dead face looked nobler as the light grew and they could see it better. And in the wood behind them, a bird gave a chuckling sound. It had been so still for hours and hours that it startled them. Then another bird answered it, and soon there were birds singing all over the place. It was quite definitely early morning now, and not late at night. I'm so cold, said Lucy. So am I, said Susan. Let's walk about a bit. So they walked to the eastern edge of the hill and looked down. The one big star had almost disappeared. The country all looked dark grey, but beyond it, at the very end of the world, the sea showed pale and the sky began to turn red. They walked to and fro more times than they could count between them, dead Aslan and the eastern ridge trying to keep warm. Ah, oh, how tired their legs felt. And then at last, as they stood for a moment looking out towards the sea and Caer Paravel, which they could just about now make out. The red turned to gold 
and along the line where the sea and the sky met and very slowly came up the edge of the sun. At that moment, they heard from behind them a great cracking, deafening noise as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. What's that? said Lucy, clutching Susan's arm. I'm afraid to turn round, said Susan. Something awful is happening. They're doing something worse to him, said Lucy. Come on. And she turned, pulling Susan round with her. The rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All colours and shadows are changed. That for a moment, they didn't see the important thing. And then they did. The stone table was broken in two pieces by a giant crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. Oh, oh, cried the two girls, rushing back towards the table. Oh no, it's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it? cried Susan. And what does it mean? And is it magic? Yes, said a great voice from behind their backs. It is more magic. And they looked round, and there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had ever seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead, then, Aslan? Not now, said Aslan. Uh, you're, you're not a... asked Susan in a shaky voice, but she couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her forehead, and the warmth of his breath and the rich sort of smell seemed to hang about in his hair all about her. Do I look it? he said. Oh gosh, you're real. You're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy, and both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does all this mean? asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could look if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read that there was a different incantation and she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And now... Oh, yes... Now, said Lucy, jumping up and clapping her hands. Oh, children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh, children, catch me if you can. He stood for a second, his eyes were very bright and his limbs quivering, lashing himself with his tail. And then he made a leap high over their heads and landed on the other side of the table. Laughing, though she didn't know why, Lucy scrambled over it to reach him, and Aslan leapt again. The mad chase began. 
Round and round the hilltop he led them, now hopelessly out of their reach, now letting them almost catch his tail and then diving off, now tossing them in the air with his huge, beautifully velvety paws and then catching them again, and then stopping unexpectedly, all three of them rolled over in a happy, laughing heap of fur, arms and legs. It was such a romp as nobody had ever expected to see in Narnia. And with all the funny things, the three lay together panting in the sun. The girls no longer felt the least bit tired or hungry or thirsty or cold. And now, said Aslan presently, to business. I feel I am going to roar. You had better put your fingers in your ears. And they did. And Aslan stood up, and when he opened his mouth to roar... His face became so terrible that they dare not look at it, and they saw all the trees in front of him bend before the blast of his roaring, as the grass bends in a meadow before the wind, and then he said, We have a long journey to go. You must ride on me. And he crouched down, and the children on his warm golden back. Susan sat first, holding tightly onto his mane, and Lucy sat behind holding tightly to Susan. With a great heave, he rose underneath and then shot off, faster than any horse could go, down the hill and through the thick of the forest. That ride was perhaps the most wonderful thing that had ever happened to them in Narnia. Have you ever had a gallop on a horse? Think of that, and then take away the heavy noise of the hoofs and the jingle of the bits and imagine, instead or the almost noiseless padding of great giant paws. And then imagine, instead of black or grey or chestnut back of the horse, and the roughness of, the, of golden fur, and the mane flying back in the wind, and then imagine you're going about twice as fast as the fastest racehorse. But this is a mount that doesn't need to be guided and never grows tired. He rushes on and on, never missing his footing, never hesitating, threading his way with perfect skill between the tree trunks, jumping over bush and briar and the smaller tree streams, wading the larger, swimming the largest of all. And you were the rider, not on a road nor in a park, but across Narnia, down solemn avenues of beech and across sunny glades of oak, through wild orchards of snow-white cherry trees past roaring waterfields, mossy rocks and echoing caverns and up windy slopes alight with gorse bushes and across the shoulders of heathery mountains and along giddy ridges and down and down and down again into the wild valleys and out into the acres of blue flowers. It was nearly midday when they found themselves looking down a steep hillside at a castle, a little toy castle it looked from where they stood which seemed to be all pointed towers, but the lion was rushing at such a speed that it grew larger every moment, and before they had time to ask themselves, they were almost on a level with it, and now it no longer looked like a toy castle, but rose frowning in front of them. No face looked over the battlements, and the gates were shut fast, and Aslan, not at all slacking his pace, rushed straight as a bullet towards it. It's the witch's home, he cried, 
Now, children, hold on tight. Next moment, the whole world seemed to turn upside down and the children felt as if they'd left their insides behind them. For the lion had gathered himself together for a greater leap than any he had ever made before. So he jumped, or some may call it flying rather than jumping, right over the castle wall. The two girls, breathless but unhurt, found themselves tumbling off his back in the middle of a wide stone courtyard full of statues. Bedtime Stories on 1707 Radio Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.